This is Detention, a podcast dedicated to candid conversations about education. I'm your host, Dr. Nadia Lopez, a global leader, author, speaker, coach, consultant, and entrepreneur who opened a school to close a prison. Join me as I share my insights and bring fellow disruptors to serve time in conversation. Rebels, let's get into some good trouble. This episode is being brought to you by Elevated BLK, which focuses on personal development and sustainability for educators. We offer live and on-demand courses that help you to build your skills, see your vision, or pivot from the position. You can check out our apparel line, join our newsletters, or even see the books that we offer by visiting www.elevatedblk.com. Shauna Brown is the founder of Teach for the Culture, a brand dedicated to uplift, affirm, and inspire communities and individuals through education. Her other business ventures include Culture University and The Culture Shop, an apparel line that I love and have supported. She is the proud graduate of Temple and Columbia University and has served in various capacities throughout education which has allowed her to build her craft, not only as a teacher, but also a leader. I had the pleasure of meeting her through Instagram and became an instant fan of seeing all the messages that she would post that would spark conversation and bring awareness of what was happening in our classrooms across the United States, especially how they were affecting black and brown students. Throughout the year, she has been able to build a community with a strong following. And during our conversation, Shauna sheds light of not only her work in New York City, but also in Connecticut. She also shares how she was able to build a brand, step outside of the traditional classroom to explore other opportunities, and is now having a global impact. Detentionites, you're in for a treat. Um, I got to meet Shauna through her platform, Teach for the Culture, like I, I was just like, who is this person? What are they doing? I didn't see a face. All I saw was the logo. And mm-hmm. I was just intrigued by your content. Mm-hmm. Um, and I invited Shauna here today to have a conversation because there are so many people who are right now either working in schools, working on the return to go back to school, um, and they're feeling defeated but also finding inspiration through platforms like yours. Um, And so I wanted to have a conversation about your journey into education, but also how you decided or what was the catalyst behind Teach for the Culture, which has become a brand that has a lot of followers um, and has morphed into where you are next in your life. So let's get into your journey into education. Sure. So I'm one of those people who, um, from when I was a little girl, I always wanted to be a teacher. I always wanted to become an educator. At three years old, I was the one who would like line up my dogs and pretend. (laughs) (laughs) I started my little babysitting company at age 12. And so I was always like into both education and entrepreneurship. Um, I went on to study at Temple University where I got my undergrad in education. And then Columbia University, I got my master's in urban education and policy. Um, I first started like officially teaching, I would say, well, first of all, student teaching was in Philadelphia. 
in an elementary school. Um, after leaving that, I you know went to New York. I was then um, teaching at Wingate High School, which was like a huge high school. I think more than it had to be more than about three thousand, four thousand students. Yes. And at the time, I was like, you know, I'm 22. Some of the kids are 21 and 20 living mm -hmm. in um, but, you know, I learned a lot and that gave me a great um, foundation. A lot of people when I was going like, oh, how are you going to teach at Wingate? Wingate? This? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good. And so I went in knowing that, like, you know, um, for those relationships and just being real and um, just showing up as myself in the foundation as an educator. I then went Connecticut. Um, and then in Connecticut, I have been you know, in a variety of different educational roles. I never tried to like lock myself into one position or one role because I enjoy learning. And to me, part of just enjoying learning and enjoying being in the educational space is trying different things, trying new things, always challenging myself to learn more, to do more, to um, just find different ways of, of reaching and elevating and educating um, myself. And that spills over into others. So I think my my love for education and learning helps push that um, that urge to to educate others and help to help others to have that same kind of like that same kind of urge and that thirst for learning and this excitement around it. And so I'm always looking for ways to do that as well as like you know open more doors, um, provide more opportunities, find more opportunities, help people to realize who they are as a person. Um, and just and I do all of that with what I consider a great amount of both gratitude and joy and just excitement around it. And I think I help to build that same thing in others. So that's kind of, and then put, go ahead. No, one of the things that um, you, you said at, at the onset was how you got into education, right? You went the traditional route, yes. undergrad, graduate, and then at this tender age of 21, 22, entered the workforce as a high school teacher. And for many who may not know what it's like to teach high school, the kids look like you. Cause when you're that young, they don't even see you half of the time as a teacher. So you have to be grounded in yourself, especially yeah. Wingate in Brooklyn. It's yeah. a different beast, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because all the kids all the time be like, miss, you sure you're a teacher, miss? You're not a model student. You sure you teach? I'm like, yes, I'm a teacher. They're like, you, you're not just a model student, miss. And they would do it. They would continue to do that even when they knew, like they know I'm a right. teacher. Just to, you know, cause I was so young and I was close to the age of many of the students. So with you saying that, we know that right now there's a shortage. We know that they're just finding teachers from anywhere to, to fill the gaps, whether it's substitutes or going through these alternative programs. Um, and I'm a product of alternative programs. So I'm saying that with, with very much regard to how people are coming in. But part of the missing link is what you, you know, clearly stated was the building of relationships. You get so many teachers who are coming into the field who are struggling yeah. Right. And, and the struggle comes from the disciplinary issues that they're dealing with, you know, the behaviors or what we know as the academic gaps. But kids know when yeah. you are about this life of education, they know when you are invested in them. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So what, what do you say to those individuals who are coming in and after like the first two days, they feel defeated or going into the schools, the things that they need to know in order to set the tone so that they have a successful year? I will say, um, so number one is, is just, is going in with the right, I, I don't care what pathway you took to get the education. It's the reason you're there. If you're mm -hmm. in it, then I think that's going to help you to persevere a little bit more um, and, and build those relationships. If you're in it um, to just, just because you love your content and you just want to share content, you just want to share, you know, what's in a book, that's not going to get you through. Like it has to be more than that. It has to be, you have to be connected or be willing to be connected to those you are trying to reach. If you're not doing that, um, it's, it's gonna be a lot harder and you're gonna get burnt out a lot quicker because you're not gonna get the results that um, I think you'd like to see. So I think definitely um, building that relationship and rapport. And that doesn't mean just, you know, you're, there, you're the kid's best friends, or it just doesn't mean like, you know, you have to be um, on their same level or like really, you know, like one of them. Like they, they want you to be who you are, mm -hmm. um, but they also want to know that you're vested in their success. And like you said before, they can see through that when you're not, when you're all about, you know, just what's in the book, just, you know, what's in your content and not vested in their success and helping them get to the next level, they're going to see that right away. Um, so I would just say, you know, again, be yourself, um, be there for the right reason, be willing to, um, just search for opportunities and, and look for ways to connect who they are and what they're interested in to things they can learn and um, things they can go on to, to continue becoming to be. Um, and yeah, so I would, I would definitely say that. And then you talked about the continuum of learning, right? So part of your success comes from you keep learning and the fact that you didn't stay in the same school because that's the other thing that I find that a lot of educators including myself we get this stronghold we stay in a place and we don't leave because we feel like the place won't exist without me the kids won't like what do I if I leave what happens to the children what made you say it was okay for yourself and I say that because there are a lot of people who are listening right and it, so those who are like what do you mean what do you say to yourself just leave it's not that easy when you are committed as a teacher. So what was the thing that led you to say, it, I'm, I'm ready to transition. I'm ready to move on to a new space and to learn something new. Yes, yeah, so I would say the first, um, well, a couple of things. I would say the first thing um, within one school, I changed grade levels. And after three years, okay, I did three years of one grade and then three years of like sixth grade and eighth grade. And so I think changing grade levels helped to keep me sharp. I like challenges. Um, some of the same kids I taught in sixth, I had again in eighth, um, but it was at a different level. We're learning different material. We're looking at different content. Um, I would say the next change for me, I went on to, um, so I've done like a lot of different things in, in different positions, as you said, but the next, I went to another school um, because I wanted a different environment. Again, I wanted to teach something different in the other place um, and just to see how that was. I love that. I went on to the district level. Um, I was in the district level for three years in Connecticut, um, working as a program coordinator for new arrivals. 
And so Connecticut has, like we have the third largest West Indian population in the United States. And so the system I was in, which was Hartford Public Schools, um, has a great deal of immigrants coming from the West Indies and the Caribbean, as well as we were a refugee resettlement area. So we had refugees coming from Liberia, Somalia, um, Turkey, and um, what was the other place? Um, and just, you know, different places all around the world, but we were a refugee resettlement area. And so I coordinated the program to help teachers and schools learn how to um, work with these families that were coming in from all over the world. And so to me, that was like one opportunity, one to like, you know, expand my own knowledge and repertoire and, and challenge myself once again in a different area that will be impacting more schools, more kids, more educators, as opposed to just being in that one place, um, impacting that one population. And that was, it, it was, you know, I learned a whole lot. There were kids that were coming in from different, like Liberian different places that were actually child soldiers. Some students had never been to school before formally. And so you have a kid coming into ninth grade who has never been to formal school, but they're plopped in ninth grade in a high school in the United States. That Those teachers can't do the same thing they've been doing for years and years and years. You can't service those kids in the same way. And so again, that was an opportunity for me to help lead that, to help um, teachers build the, the skills and flexibility to be able to say, okay, this kid needs this, these and this, how are we gonna do this within the classroom? How are we gonna do this within a program? How are we gonna support the parents? Um, and so again, that was just another challenge. And then, so I think everywhere I've been, um, it, it, it's an opportunity for me to grow, but also as I'm growing, I'm able to help open more doors for children and help build capacity for adults, even as a teacher leader. Cause like that position wasn't even considered administration, even though I was directing a whole program for a whole district with 30,000 kids. <laughs> wow. I, I, first off, I had no idea um, that Connecticut had that many um, number of refugees or even had a, like a, a department, a program like that. Because when yep. we think about Connecticut, it's it just seems like going towards New England. It's just not, you know, you don't think about immigrants um, right. settling, especially from uh, the continent of Africa and such a high capacity or the Caribbean island. Like, you know, I think of East Coast, it's Miami, <laughs> it's New York, um, even Atlanta, but that's very interesting, especially I've done a lot of research um, about Connecticut, just in terms of the, the school system and, and things that have come out about the disparities um, that have occurred when it comes to funding, when it comes to the support. And I remember having to give a talk um, a keynote address. And while I was driving up, I was, I was reading just the demographics of teachers, right? Like how, <laughs> whoo, in comparison to how many children of color are actually in Connecticut school system, but then we don't have a representation of people of color actually in the classrooms. Like we know that exists throughout the United States, but the way it's set up in Connecticut it's different. It's different, different. It's different, oh, different. It's different. So, you know, I wonder with your work even now, first question I have is how do you even find these positions? 
But given where we are now, and you talked about the gaps of children who come in as former child soldiers and come with gaps, we now know the children who have been here in the States are so far behind. How are teachers being prepared and are they for this moment? So I think I would say yes and no. I think if if teachers, excuse me, only depend on what they're getting from, um, you know, preparation programs alone, that mm -hmm. alone won't do it. You have to kind of go beyond that. And I think systems have to support teachers and educators in going beyond that as well and actually put, you know, some of the, the money where the rhetoric is because <clears throat> they're not, you know, educators are not. And, and even if you do, there's always something new. There's always something else. Like dynamics are always changing. And so even what we've seen in the last two years, everyone could have been fully prepared to, to differentiate and teach a variety of learners and this and that, and then boom, now we're switching online. You gotta learn new skills. So it's like preparation is important, but I, that can only get you so far. Some of it has to be yourself and then support from the district and the systems and states and the federal agencies and continually supporting um, teachers and educators in what they need, not just what you know the legislators think we need, but what we actually need to continue to adapt and be flexible and deal with new populations all the time and ourselves because we change too. <laughs> but most of these policymakers are not they're not equipped themselves. They haven't been in a classroom. They're not even educators, right? And so they show up when there's a problem to talk about, oh, we need to address the teacher shortage, but the actual nuances of what that means yep. and how there's been a failure to prepare, like you said, from school of education. I, I feel like there are certain schools that do a really, really good job of preparing teachers to go into the workforce. So you'll have teacher's college, you'll have a bank street. There's just certain names of schools that you can say that you're like, that person is equipped, they're ready because even the, the professors that they have, their investment mm -hmm. in urban education or just education in general is just way different than when you go to other schools where the person who's in the classroom, you're just sitting there learning theoretical practices, but you don't know how to actually apply that. And so when you get into the classroom, you're at a deficit with the children who are at a deficit. And so that doesn't make for anything good, especially if the person doesn't have the ability to take the initiative, as you say, to learn, right? Because mm -hmm. to learn the craft of teaching comes with also a humility to say that I don't know everything. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And we're put in positions in this society that once we have the title of anything related to education, we know every single thing about education and that's not the case. Right. And I think that's something that really holds a lot of us back as educators is just thinking that you have all the answers. Like we don't. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that so the part, about, the, the part about how you got into these different positions, because I think that that's also an issue. I find so many people get becoming stagnant, complacent and thinking that they can only stay within the box of the classroom. What made you say, no, I, there's out there, there's more out there. Let me apply or, or yeah, did it just come to you? No, I definitely, it's, it's always for me because I, I am a, a true lover of learning mm -hmm. new opportunities to learn. And I know that when I have new opportunities to serve in different, different capacities, that is going to help me learn. And I, and me, I am, 
I don't just learn through reading. I learn by actually like hands-on and doing, which I very much enjoy. And so looking at different positions, um, having the curiosity to want to know how things work and how things can be better has also kind of inspired me to move into different areas. Um, one of the areas I moved into um, from working at a district level was going to the state level mm. and working for the state department of education. And so there I got to learn not just about how the state department operates, but how the federal level operates in education. And so I was able to do, um, OCR visits, so visits with the Office of Civil Rights with schools and interviews. I was able to learn about how funding is allocated, how the state um, seeks to like support different districts. Um, Connecticut is a place where we have, you know, a, it's a fairly small state, about 3.7 million, but we have 169 different districts. Whoa. <laughs> 169 different districts. And, you know, so I'm always curious so why is that how does that benefit some and how does that marginalize others how how are the the different districts cut up who's mm -hmm. which districts are doing what like so all these questions um just being curious about how things work helped me to like move into that position and other positions and continue learning and so to me it's like I just People are like, how do you have all this energy? I, I just like, <laughs> I love it. And I'm all over and I've done a lot of different things and I love it all. Like that experience for me too was very eye-opening. I knew I didn't want to stay there um, and nothing against the state, but it was like, you know, a state job. So like there are people who have been there for 20, 30, 40 years and mm -hmm. I'm going nowhere. Same routine every day. That's just not me. Like I like to switch it up. I like to interact more. I like to be on the ground level with with um, students. That's my number one love. So, but yeah. And then you know, I've, I've went on to different districts since then, and it's always about expanding my knowledge base, learning, and expanding my impact. So I went from there. I was in another district in Connecticut. I had been in all urban districts up to this point, and then I went to like a semi-suburban district. And so that again was like different, new learning. I was the only black person um, in the building until we hired a couple more. But when I got there, I was the first. Um, and there I was in a position of Dean of Students at that time. And so, you know, it was just always learning, learning about new ways to, cause like when I moved to that position, I said to myself, all right, I looked at the data and I looked at the disparity in suspensions and discipline with students of color and white students. Students of color were like an 80% white students were at 5%. So mm. automatically, what can I do? What's the root cause? And now how can I get in and make an impact by being curious, by asking questions and by changing it up? And so I was able to do that. <laughs> and so again, it just started with me being curious and wanting change for myself, but change in the way we do education and the way we look at things and just, just being able to be transformative. So representation definitely matters mm -hmm. and what i'm gathering from what you're saying and just from my own personal experience is that we can't marginalize ourselves from positions right we get so comfortable with saying oh you know our familiarity is with urban education but your skills are transferable that's right, right? so for for the majority of my time as an educator it was spent being in new york city but at some point I did work in 
in um, Cobb County in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And that's very much suburban. That's very much predominantly white, right? Whether it's administration to the children, totally different from what I, my experience in New York. And so there was a little bit of intimidation because it's almost like, how do I fit in? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm used to being in predominantly black led institutions or predominantly black um, uh, population of children, black and brown children. But when I started to do the work, the kids were the same. That's right. right. They may they may look different by race and have different class systems. However, the behaviors, the needs, um, the the same issues with learning presented itself. They may have more access to things, but there's still the the what teenagers were going through in Brooklyn. They were dealing with it in a different way here. Right? right. Like I was like, oh, y'all coping mechanisms are different here. Right. And we don't, you know, when we talk about opioids and all this stuff, we didn't have that necessarily in New York. That wasn't our issue with kids. They were literally, you know, utilizing that as a form of coping. Mm-hmm. And they come from two parent homes, but the parents aren't either uh, available or they're not talking to each other or left the kids to their own devices because they feel like, oh, our kids have all the things that they want and that privilege becomes a problem. So don't deny yourself the opportunity of going into something new because you learn, like the importance is learning culture. The importance is learning about the, the impact of privilege and it helps you to navigate and learn the way things are different but how do you call call it to the table mm-hmm. and then also provide your spin because your voice is just as equally as important to those children. Like you said, when you look at the disparities in suspension rates, 80, 85% compared to 5%. And we know <laughs> there's yeah. often things that white children are doing the same as black children, but it's always people pay more attention to black children or things that are minute become exacerbated. That's right. That's right. And, and even on the flip side of that, there was, you know, we had, I was looking at, okay, who are the kids being identified for gifted and talented and advanced programs compared to, um, you know, by demographic, and that number completely flipped from the suspension rate. So, like, we were overrepresented in things that were more negative and then underrepresented in the access and opportunity pieces. So, and I definitely, yeah. representation matters, voice matters. Um, within that district, I think there were like maybe four um, staff members that were black in the whole district. Wow. <laughs> the whole town. And I can remember like going in one time I had like, you know, a little color piece in my hair and the students were like, I would say about 40% students of color, 40, 50%. And one girl looked at me and she's like, you're the dean. And I was like, yeah, and she touched my hair. She's like, oh, I'm just not used to seeing <laughs> seeing deans like this and she was a black girl you know <laughs> she's like I'm just not used to seeing this as a you know they would just assume that I was a um, teacher or you know parent or something else mm, interesting and yes you, you talk about the access we will see less of our children of color in um, AP classes We'll see them less in the gifted and talented programs. We'll see them. We'll see a lot of them in athletic programs, but we don't see them in enrichment where it comes to performing arts, you know, those type of things. So 
you know, I just, I said behind the scenes, thank you for your work, but I think it's very important that we recognize when there are people championing for our children in different ways. And when we look at data, it's not just about how to look at the data for student achievement, but looking at, looking at the data with a fine comb around how is the representation of children of color. That's right within the programming and the disciplinary actions um, being represented as well. Exactly. And I was, you know, my first couple, first few districts, I worked in Philly, New York, Connecticut, in urban districts. And it was like almost all black students and a lot of black staff. And then so branching out into these different areas, we were even looking at different things, right? Like when I was in the all black schools, I wasn't necessarily looking at, oh, what percent of black, cause they were almost all black. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, um, and that helped me, though, again, to grow as an educator, like coming out of my comfort zone, because I was very comfy in those in those areas. That was that's family. That's home. Exactly. <laughs> but, but then you also out. hold hold your fellow colleagues to task because they're not paying attention to the disparities. It's normalized. Right. So now when you're like, I'm just curious, why is it that this is being a focus when we call when we talk to discipline? Why aren't these children? being acknowledged or given the opportunity to join an AP class or gifted and talented. And then they're like, oh, well, um, they're just not prepared. Why aren't they prepared? Like, why? what classes should they be in in order for us to prepare them? Like, so we start to look at tracking from the very beginning, who's going into what classes and who's making those decisions mm -hmm. around where the children go. That's right. I wanted to briefly pause here. This conversation with Shauna highlights how inequities exist across our school systems. The mere fact that 85% of the students who were suspended were black versus 5% of their white counterparts speaks volumes of the ways in which there's a disproportionate amount of disciplinary actions being issued to black students. See, this is where we start to see the school to prison pipeline play out because when it came to gifted and talented programs, as well as AP courses, black students were grossly underrepresented. But this is obviously a topic that requires its own episode. So before I deviate from the script, let's jump back into this one. Um, so all of that transitions us to the conversation around teach for the culture, right? And your platform that is very much a brand Again, what was the catalyst for you to create this? Because you have amassed a large following um, and you spark conversations through many of the posts that you put up, whether it's um, tweets that you, you know, utilize, quotes, um, visuals, you, mm -hmm. you get educators to start thinking about the ways in which they show up, the way policies are put into place, um, but just also reminding the importance of never excluding the culture from um, our school instruction. That's right. So I started, I first started Teach for the Culture back in 2018, actually. Um, and that was out of pure, like, I wanted to spread just positivity, love, and joy around teaching and teaching and learning. That was like my main thing. Um, and with that, I've always liked to just speak the truth, right? So to keep the focus on um, opportunities, on equity, on access, on keeping children at the center. 
um, in 2019, I then began to um, like turn some of the quotes that I was using into shirts so that the message could continue to spread off of social media, but people could actually wear some of the messages through the t-shirt brand. I've done that. Um, and then just wanting to build community also. I think it's very important that um, educators at any time, but especially during these times, we have to be in community with one another if we want to see like real change, right? Or sustain change or just impact change on a broader level. Cause I could be, you know, doing it in, in different places by myself or with a couple people here and there, but building the platform, which I had no idea was gonna get this large by the way, um, building a platform was just a way for me of building community. And then when 2020 hit, it started to like, you know, and more people started to pay more attention to these issues of um, racial justice and racial justice in education and social justice. More and more people just kept getting on and, and just following and connecting and building. And it's right now like a global platform and people all over the world um, that have tapped in and, and, you know, have connected, had conversations together, um, are trying different things in their schools. Um, as I consider myself to be an innovator as well. And so sometimes when I engage with those types of questions is not to be up there preaching, because to me, a lot of times pre just preaching alone doesn't work. To get people actually thinking and reflecting, I've seen some of the biggest differences in, in that area and hearing from other people. Because sometimes like I can know the answers, but I'm I, one person doesn't have all the answers, right? Mm -hmm. A perspective, I have my experience, but one person doesn't have all the answers. And the knowledge to me is always in the room. So a lot of times when I when I pose those questions, um, I want people to hear from other people also and have different experiences and be able to like kind of shift that um in a different type of environment, not just with your colleagues at the same school who've been together for 10, 15, 20 years or however long, just hearing from each other. So it's like kind of opening up the conversation. And so that's what I've, you know, um, done with um, Teach for the Culture. Um, so it's both a brand, I do, you know, clothing and apparel that sparks conversations and spreads a message, um, as well as I'm building what's called Culture University. That's gonna be more, um, you know, professional development and, experiential learning for educators. Because again, um, I think a lot of people learn by doing and experiencing. And so um, I'm gonna be doing that in a different way at, at Culture University. So. How do you keep up with it though? Cause I'm gonna tell you this, I am on social media and I, it's a love-hate relationship. I I don't have the energy, right? Mm -hmm. And I. <laughs> I don't, I, there's a lot that I want to share. And it's, you know, when it's funny because, you know, when you watch fitness videos or you watch these fitness things and you could literally watch it for 30 minutes and you had, you gotten up, you could have done the exercise, but instead you watch it happen. I will sit for 30, 40 minutes and try to figure out like, okay, what am I going to put up? Blah, 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 blah. Before I know it, it's eight thirty, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. And I'm either putting it up late or I'm like, I'm not putting it up at all. So I know I lack consistency just because I'm, I, there's a part of me that does not 
go on during the morning. Like I cannot go on social media first thing in the morning because mm -hmm. I will get trapped. And I'm always busy throughout the day. So when I actually look to see what time I have, it's usually after six, but then I'm trying to eat <laughs> and I'm trying to get all these other things done. So how do you, how do you maintain the consistency, especially as a mom and someone who is, you know, working as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. and just living life? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, um, I know a lot of people when they go on social media, they actually like plan everything out and it has to be like perfect. For a lot of people, for me, if a thought comes to me, I just write it down and post it. So it's not, I don't put a lot into it. So it may seem like there's a lot, but it's just like something sparked something within me, something sparked a thought and I write it down and I post it. So it's almost like writing in a journal for me, like, or just jotting a note down. Um, if I can't post it right away, I'll just, you know, I'll put it in a voice memo on my phone or just write it in my notes section on my phone. And then at some time I come back to it and just write it, make it into a graphic and post it. So it's not like, I don't really put a lot of um, like energy into the actual post. But then when I get, you know, the, the, the comments, people talking to each other, that sparks even more, that actually energizes me. So I don't really get tired of it. I just have thoughts. I share my thoughts, share my reflections, share questions, and then um, just get energized through that. Um, and I don't, yeah, I think just not planning and not wanting, not having it have to be perfect. Because if you see, like, I'm all over the place, like, I just post everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, whatever thought comes to my mind and it's about education, I feel like it could add value somehow. <clears throat> if I feel like that thought could add value somehow or that question could spark something in someone somewhere that could then impact a child positively. I'll post it. And so that's, that's kind of what I do. So Shauna, you have shared your, your whole transition from one thing to another, you know, whether it was the traditional sense of going into education and now creating a platform that has become a brand that is global. I think about so many educators who only know the classroom. Mm -hmm. right they get into education and they only know the classroom and part of it is because we don't make education sexy enough to believe that there's anything else for us to do mm -hmm. right we don't see ourselves as creators we may not see ourselves as um influencers um and that's because of the lack of respect that comes with the profession mm -hmm. which is something that you utilize your platform as a way of reclaiming that i've utilized my platform and that's why I tend to always show like the travel. Cause I was like, oh, <laughs> you showed me I could do this globally. I'm out, right? And there are schools all over the world and there are leaders all over the world. This is what I am going to do. And so your mission for Teach for the Culture, for me, I see it as much more beyond than just showing that there's, there's, stories that need to be amplified from the black and brown lens mm -hmm. but what is it really about the culture of teaching right and how we can show up differently you're giving people that permission mm -hmm. from the apparel line to the engage creating the community and ongoing discussions that happen um 
to now turning this into a university, if you will, where people can receive professional development. Like there's somebody out there who needs to hear from you directly for them to realize that they don't have to stay in the box. What do you tell that person? Whew. So, so one, <laughs> just when we talk about people thinking that, um, you know, or educators or teachers thinking that the only thing they have is a classroom, that, that hurts my spirit. <laughs> it hurts because there's so much more. The world is so much bigger. And I just encourage anyone thinking that, you know, their job is education or their job is, is where it ends to just go beyond that. I think we have to start with, with liberating ourselves, liberating our minds and a part of liberating ourselves first is unlocking that, what we tell ourselves and what we tell ourselves in a way that limits what we can do. Like it's always beyond the classroom, just like with education and school. Some people think education is schools. No, education is like everything, it's life. It's beyond schools. So as a teacher, yes, you may, you know, be connected to the kids that are in front of you in your class or connected to your colleagues in that one school or that one thing, but there's a whole entire world out there. And I just want everyone to give themselves permission to look beyond their four walls or their immediate area because there's so much more out there. And I think, um, you know, one of my quotes says, joy and learning must coexist. And that really is, that joy is about freedom, like pushing past everything that's right in your face. Because if you just sit with that one school, like sometimes you don't even realize that you're almost trapped <laughs> or you can become trapped if you're not thinking like beyond or giving yourself permission to go beyond. And schools, I feel like schools and, and districts really take advantage of that. They want you to think that, oh, this is it for you, right? They give you a salary. This is a cap. When you go beyond that, there is no cap. Like you, you this, the whole world is open. It's open. And so I think we just have to give ourselves that encouragement. I think it's hard sometimes when you have other people around you telling you like, no, stay, you have a good job. Why would you go anywhere else? Um, you know, you've been here for so long. You've built this, you've done this. You, you know exactly what you're doing. Why would you go anywhere else? I think we have to kind of get out of that way of thinking and, and go to like doing what makes you happy also. So what brings you, are you, you know, fulfillment or what brings you joy, what brings you freedom and just, and, and go for that. So. And take risk, right? And this is something that I say, we want kids to take risk and everything is not always going to work out. Like recently I went through a box of cards that I had, you know, back in the day when Vista print was giving you like 250 for a dollar 99, something crazy, right? You get cards. I had so many cards of different things. I had cards where I was doing baskets, right? <laughs> Poetry and customized this. I had, a, I had a box of cards for that. I had a box of cards for an intervention specialist, right? Um, I was providing services to parents who wanted uh, their children to get like, it's almost like tutoring, but because of my special education background, like providing them with the targeted support. Then there was another one about consulting. All of these cards, I want to say the first one I did was in 1999 or 2000. The next set of cards I bought 
in 2004 or five when I was teaching. The next set of cards came when I was working here in Georgia. And I was like, no, I need to expand myself. I want to create all these other things. And then I was just like, what was I thinking, right? And I'm doing none of those things right now. However, it didn't take away from the skills that I had that was going to be applied to any of those things, right? It didn't stop me from recognizing that when one thing doesn't work out, it doesn't mean that I wasn't good enough. It just wasn't the right timing mm -hmm. because ultimately those things didn't work out because I needed to get into a space of becoming the leader that I needed to be. But I developed partnerships or relationships because of it. I remember the very last one I had was like when I was a teacher and I decided that, oh, I'm going to be, I, I named myself inter intervention specialist and community liaison. I, I, I was like, I'm not calling myself teacher. I just, I want to name who I am. And so I would meet people and tell them about my work in this all girl school that I was in and, and tell folks like, I need you to come and speak to my girls. And then I started to expand and have the boys program before I named it I matter where I had all these people convening. It was male empowerment summit. It was the young women's empowerment summit. It was nothing fancy. I just wanted people to know that they could come, but because I had my card that was legit <laughs> and I handed it out, people responded. And so my Rolodex of folks that I know, and a lot of people are like, how do you know this person? I was hustling back in the early 2000s, giving out these cards, making myself legitimate, calling myself whatever I wanted to call myself, right? And then got people to buy in. And so when I became a principal and I needed folks to come to the school, all of those people that I made connections with had no problem saying, Nadia, we got you. What time you need me to be there? All the way in Brownsville. Right. Because everybody else was like, I'm not going there. <laughs> to have celebrities or influencers come, it was because I did the groundwork. And I share that because we're so afraid of quote unquote failing, but yet we're in classrooms with kids who are constantly feeling like they're failing. And we're in a day and time where because all we talk about is learning loss, we don't look at it from a, a, a um we look at it from the deficit as opposed to what can be the advantage in this moment. How can we tap into the talent so that we can make kids realize that there's a bridge between where they need to go and where they're at, right? And so that's when, when I see Teach for the Culture, it becomes that for me. Like I'm not the person, as much as I low-key on the side create communities, I'm not creating that type of community. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with deferring people to teach for the culture because that's not my ministry. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. But I also recognize that through my relationship and my consistency, I might not put up as much, but I'm consistently seeing Shauna's information, all of her stuff, and I'm liking it and I'm commenting or I'm sharing it, right? She and I bridged this relationship where to now I can say, Shauna, come on my podcast and let's have a conversation. That's it. And so that's what we need to see it as like, don't limit yourself. Mm -hmm. And so now that you have done that work, you, you, you've influenced children, you've influenced so many educators, you have now transitioned into yet another chapter. So that's what it. are, what are you doing now? 
So can I just say first really quickly, thank you for everything you just said. Like you just dropped so many transition <laughs> like like that that's huge. And I think just just to echo what you said really quickly, I think just believing in yourself, knowing that your skills can um go into other places outside of your classroom, outside of your um the school you're in, creating you know, naming yourself, defining yourself. You know, you put on your business card, yeah, I'm an intervention specialist. Like not, not letting someone else name you. You tell people who you are and you're able to make those connections. And I think just having that, I think all of that has to do with just having um, the mindset of an entrepreneur. And I think more educators, if they had entrepreneurial mindsets, we would be even further along in education because an entrepreneur says, okay, what's the need? What can I do? How can I solve problems? How can I address this? How can I connect with others, make contacts and network to, to make this happen? So I appreciate all of that. And that is what I'm moving into next, actually. So full-time entrepreneurship. Um, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. You, you also talked about, you know, taking risks. I'm a person, I'm not afraid to take risks. And I think when you believe in yourself and you know yourself, you know what you're bringing to the table, you're able to do that. And so at this next level, this next um, chapter in my um, career, I'm going into full-time entrepreneurship for the first time. I've always done it on the side. I've always created all these programs in addition to full-time work on the side. And so I'm really excited about it. It's, you know, if it doesn't work out, all right, there's always something else I could do. But I will not say later on that I wish I had tried this. I wish I had done this because you never know. To me, you just never know what can happen, what can come out of it when you do try, when you do take the risk, as opposed to staying in, you know, safe harbor and not taking that jump. So that's that's what I'm moving into. Um, full-time entrepreneurship with the business and just um, looking to, you know, connect more, looking to expand my reach in terms of um, things I'm able to do and ways I'm able to serve communities and ways I'm able to partner with organizations, with other schools. Um, and just looking forward to just, you know, being able to serve. It's to me, it's it's as much about um service as it is about my own learning and just doing what I need to do. So that's gonna be my next level. So um, you're walking into the space of consultancy and um I want people to really be very clear what Shauna has demonstrated. With education, you can go anywhere, right? Like that, that's the beauty of it. And we need to own that as educators, right? Like our profession influences every industry that exists, right? Every industry that exists. And so there, there's a gift that comes with being able to stand in front of a classroom and talk to children. There's a gift that comes with planning and executing those plans. There's a gift that comes with planning events right? Interior designing a room. There's a gift that comes with that. There's a gift that comes with building relationships with young people. There's a gift that comes with getting people buy in, to buy into your vision of what it can be for children and what it can be for a classroom. There are gifts that come with that. And everybody does not want your job because they can't manage to have that gift. So you can take it and and do it with do with it what you need to which is if you are in a position of educating children educate them if you mm -hmm. feel like it's time for you to transition apply it to something else right but that's why i i was in 
consistent on naming myself because sometimes the very title that we have been given actually is um, demoralizing, right? Yeah. So when someone says that you're a teacher, it's the people shrink. Like, I'm just a teacher. What happened? Mm -hmm. now, I'm, I'm a teacher, right? right. But I, my teaching... I had to be an intervention specialist. I had to I had to deal with children who were not on grade level. I had to deal with children who who had behavioral issues. I had to deal with children and their parents and the community. I'm an intervention specialist. You put me in any situation, I will intervene and I am specialized in doing that. Right? So I had to name it, claim it and be very clear on what that looks like. If you shrink yourself down to saying I'm a teacher, and that's all you see yourself as go, go to another country, mm. go to Europe and say, you're a teacher. They revere you right. as someone who's doing God's work. We don't that's do right. that here. Go to the Caribbean Island and say, you're a teacher. You are revered. That's right. But we don't see that here. So we have to reclaim what that sounds like and what the meaning is behind that, which is why I'm always saying we're educators, Right. Because the minute I said I wasn't going to be a principal, it's like, what are you going to do with your life? I'm sorry. I, what? I wasn't born into the title of principal. I still am an educator. Right. Right. Yes. So now I am the chief visionary officer. I could have said CEO. I could have said CEO. I've, I have vision. Yes. I'm going to name and claim who I am. Yes. So do the same for yourself. Yes. Yes. So Shauna, for people to find you, whether it's to be inspired, whether it's to work with you, where can they find you? So they, so they can find me. Um, my the, the main platform is is at Teach for the Culture on Instagram. Um, I can also be found by email. It's Teach for the Culture at gmail.com if you want to connect that way. Um, I mentioned Culture University, which I'm building you know, in the process of building now and, you know, expanding that. And that is culture.university on Instagram. Um, and then I also have a, a program for um, STEM education. And that's on Instagram at Melanin in STEM. I started that back in 2017 um, after working um, at one of the, at an aerospace and engineering high school, my last high school. And so I'm a STEM educator at heart always and so that's another way to just connect and see some of the stories um that i've centered in stem education at melanin stem and that's all about you know what you said earlier kind of connecting with other people so that platform i connect with stem professionals from all over the globe mostly stem professionals of color and is showing youth the different pathways to stem and the many different occupations and things you can do with the skills you um develop so those are the main ways you can contact me. I'm looking forward to just connecting with um, anyone. You can always DM me um, on my Teach for the Culture platform or any one of them. And I try my best to respond in a very timely fashion. Well, I, I thank you for sharing all of that information. And one thing I'm gonna applaud Shauna for in true education fashion, she was taking notes <laughs> as was I like, I pay attention. I'm like, when I'm talking to folks and they not taking notes, I'm like, hmm, I don't know if you want to take this in. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, but I did the same thing. I'm over here, like putting out all the stuff. Um, but again, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being an influencer of the culture and setting the bar high and being a representation of what education can look like from a multifaceted 
um, perspective. And I just encourage anyone who's listening to um, this episode to take time, sit with this. We're not saying jump the gun, leave your job. That's not what we're saying. Love where you're at, learn from where you're at, apply what you can in terms of your skills and knowledge to amplifying this profession. Um, and recognize that you're not going to learn everything from a teaching program, or you're not going to learn everything from your school leader. There is a responsibility for you to also take the initiative and learn your craft. And I think that that's really important because people are constantly complaining about what they don't have. And my question is, what are you taking on to learn for yourself? That's it. Right. Um, and this is your profession. It's yours, your career. So that means you have to take ownership of that. And the same way you want kids to work independently, you want them to show up, you cannot ask of them what you're not willing to do of yourself. So I have preached enough. I have said enough. I look forward to the next episode that will be coming your way soon. Until next time. All right. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Lopez. And thank you for your inspiration. I didn't mention it earlier, but um, so Dr. Lopez, I actually got her got your book back in, I think, 2015 or so. 2016. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, sharing that out on my Facebook and I was reading that. It was like next to my bed every day. I'm <laughs> and being inspired. So thank you for all that you do. Um, they can try to say you can't come into one building. But guess what? Your impact is boundless. It's infinite. And the kids will always, you know, to me, it's about the kids. And they're going to always keep it real. And what you've done for them and for communities and for teachers is just priceless. So thank you for all of your work and all the work you've done in these years in education and, and just being a light to so many people. I thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Shauna. Thank you for serving time with me here in detention. Don't forget to subscribe and to tell a friend so that this way you're up to date on new episodes that will drop every week. You can also follow us on Instagram at Detention Podcast. If you want to learn more about my services as a coach, consultant, and keynote speaker, go to www.thelopezeffect.com. And let's stay connected on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by following me on my handle, The Lopez Effect. Lastly, if you have any topic ideas, questions or comments, or want to sponsor future episodes, please send me an email at detentionwithdrnadialopez at gmail.com. All of this information will be in the show notes, so don't worry if you didn't get it down. I also want to send a gentle reminder to my disruptors and rebels. It's okay for us to get into a little bit of good trouble, but please take gentle care of yourself, be well, and never forget to choose you. <laughs>